is David Morgan. Please join me as we read Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord for today. Thank you so much. I, I love ending the scripture with this is the word of the Lord. This isn't something that came from us. It's not our idea. It's not, it wasn't generated here on earth where things fade away. This is the word of the Lord that lasts forever. It's our guidepost. It's our lamp. Um, and, and it's where we're beginning uh, today's message. We've been speaking about being rooted and developing and establishing our roots. And we've been talking in context of the presence of God, how the Holy Spirit moves through us to establish our roots. Things that are rooted in Him are rooted in the Spirit of God. And we've been talking about relationship primarily as it relates to Acts 2, 42 through 47, the fellowship of the believers, being together, sharpening, iron sharpening iron, all of us uh, following Jesus together, relying on one another, sharing with one another. And, and it's, that's an absolutely essential part of our discipleship and our walk with Jesus. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the third pillar of One Chapel, the third uh, core value that One Chapel stands on, and that is mission, presence, relationship, mission. This is Global Church Weekend. And so yesterday, there were several of us from Liberty Hill uh, joining in with Lake Travis, Kyle, Austin. We were at the Austin campus, and we, were, uh, we, we spent the day just receiving some teaching, receiving some eye-opening things from people from ministries uh, who are reaching nations uh, and are in connection with one chapel. So we, we heard from uh, Global Europe Ministries. Uh, Global Europe Ministries is, when I say Global Europe Ministries, normally when we think of missions, we think of South America, we think of Africa, we think of, uh, you know, South, the Southern North America, right? But, but Europe, uh, even though at one point the majority of Christians were living in Europe, about 1910, 66% of Christians were living in the continent of Europe. Now... Uh, statistics tell us that evangelical Christianity uh, is represented by about 2.9% of the continent of Europe. Greater Europe Ministries is ministering to all of the countries in the continent of Europe and sending, uh, sending missionaries to just go and disciple people relationally. Uh, we heard also from Mountain Gateway, and you've heard from Mountain Gateway. Jacob Hancock was here several months back. Uh, we, as part of our legacy offering, we were uh, sewing into a Mountain Gateway ministry, um, the Village Global. Uh, so we heard from Mountain Gateway. We also heard from Casas Por Cristo. They are, they're building homes. They're building homes for people who have been without a home. People who are scrounging together whatever they can to sit on top of a dirt floor to give some shelter for their families. 
And Casas Por Cristo works with pastors in different countries and identifies needs and then goes in and spends three days building a house, an enclosed space. And as you know, if you've been camping before for longer than you want to, it's really great to get back to your house because there's nothing that's going to come in the walls. You know that if the wind blows too hard, it's not going to fall over. You know that if it rains, it's not going to turn your floor into mud. And this is, this is the experience that, that some of the families who Casas Por Cristo ministers to, this is their daily experience, is, and is, uh, is living in that temporary type shelter. So what Casas Por Cristo does is they go and a team spends three days building a home, and then the other two days on the other side of, of, of that are just ministry to family, ministry to villages, um, blessing the home, meeting with pastors. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And so what I want to talk about today is mission. And it directly stems from Acts 2, 42 through 47. We've been talking about this scripture since the start of the new year. And verses 42 through 46, they outline the essential practices of what following Jesus looks like. Meeting together, breaking bread, fellowship, prayer, uh, meeting the needs of one another as believers in, in, in unity and in union with one another. And it's a beautiful thing. That's 42 through 46. But in 47, we actually see the ultimate purpose of doing all of that. When we first come to know Christ, we come from a needy position. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But when I came to know Jesus, I was in need. I, I could find no other way to fill the emptiness, fill the holes, make sense of everything. But when I found Jesus, it was very personal. It was my need being met, my heart being overcome, my heart being filled. And that's the experience I believe God wants us to have. But after we come to know him, we can't stay in that needy position. We can't stay in a position where it continues to be all about me. He wants us to move forward. And when we get to Acts 2, 47, 42 through 46 are all about the practices that we do together. 47 is the reason why we do them. And it says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It is the result of our fellowship together, and it's what we call mission. It's what we call mission. And so many times we think of mission as being an event. It's a trip that I'm going to take. It's something I'm going to save up for. It's an expense here. It's a, it's a plane that takes me to some place that's unlike any place I've ever been, and I'm going to stay there for a brief time, and then I'm going to come back to normal life. And we think about that as mission, and yes, that's a part of it, and yes, that's valuable. But it's only a small part of the picture, right? It's only a small part of the picture. And as we've been talking about Acts 2, 42 through 47, um, we've been really focusing on the body, on the fellowship of believers, on smaller discipleship groups, on doing the things that this first century church was doing. And that is valuable. That's essential for us. But that's only a part of it. We need both. We 
can't practice Acts 2, 42 through 46 and maintain isolation without it resulting in Acts 2, 47, where all of the things that we're learning and growing in make their way out to the rest of the world. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of rest of world out there. There's a lot of people out there. There's nations full of people out there. I want you to do something really quick. I want you to get out your phone, which I hardly ever tell people to do because then I just lose everyone. Um, But I'd like you to get out your phone. If you've got your phone out already, open up another browser. And I want you to go to worldometer.com. World, O, letter O, meter.com. If you mistype it and you get someplace that's like weird or spicy or whatever, that's not my fault. (laughs) Type it well. Worldometer. Is it world meters But, and does it say .com at the end? It does. Okay. Well, it's just .info. .info. I think if you do worldometer.com, it forwards to worldometers.info. And what you see there, what you see there is an, a second-by-second second calculation of the population of this earth. If you look at that top number, you see those numbers? Just tick, 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 tick. Madison's one of them. Madison was a tick on that, on that counter. Uh, you see on there, this world is growing. Population is growing. And if you take a look down at some of those other lines, you see also it ca- it's, it's calculating in there people who are leaving this earth. And you see that number, tick, tick. It just, life keeps on moving. And what that does for me is it does two things. I take a look at that top number, and I think to myself, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of opportunity for us to reach someone for Jesus. There's a lot of need. Some of those people, obviously, a few of them probably are in other countries. Uh, But some of those people that are on that ticker are right here. They're right here in our direct sphere of influence. Now, the second thing that does for me is I take a look at the number of of people who are passing from this life, and it gives to me this sense of urgency. There's an urgency here, not only because other people are passing from this phase of life into the next life, and do they know Jesus? But it puts a, a little emphasis on, on my life. I'm 51 now. I'm, I'm going to live to be 100. So that means I've got 49 years left. My birth certificate has an expiration date. That's why I know. So I plan on being around another 49 years. Um, that's, that's not a lot of time. What is God telling me to do with it? And am I going to do it or am I going to wait? Am I going to hold off? Am I going to delay? So worldometer.com, if you, take, you don't have to keep taking a look at it because it gets like overwhelming and sad and depressing and stuff sometimes if you think about it the wrong way. Um, but what it does is it ties a little bit of last week to this week because last week there were two things that I mentioned. I said, number one, you have a purpose. <laughs> you have a purpose. God designed you with a purpose. And I said, number two, you can't realize that purpose without others. 
And we were talking about the context of this, these Christian relationships that we have, these, this fellowship of the believers that we belong to. And we were saying, without the other people in this room, without the other people in the body of Christ, you can't fulfill your purpose. You need them. They need you. I'm going to add a third thing. And that third thing is, your purpose is about others. Your purpose is about others. The reason why God wanted to draw you in and let you know that you are his daughter, you are his son, and that you have a purpose is because there's somebody else who doesn't know that yet. That's the reason he's called us. He blesses us like he did with Abraham. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I was called in by Jesus, and he blessed me not so that I could just sit here and be blessed, but so that I could be a blessing to someone else. Our purpose is about others. We have to embrace and deepen our relationships here within the body with other believers. But how vital it is that we don't stop considering other relationships important. Vital importance. Uh, I want to look at uh, I want to look at Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And before we go into reading it, I want to mention this. We want the gospel to be spread. We want the gospel to not just stay right here. It's so good, other people need it. Freedom that comes from Jesus. Having people able to pray for you and you see healing, like we just talked about. Um, Receiving a a word from someone or reading something in the scripture and, and the Holy Spirit reveals something to you that breaks you in a new place of freedom. That's something that's available for us that we can perceive, that we are aware of, and God can impact and influence our lives and move us forward. We have victory in him. It's so good that other people need it too. It's so good that it can't just stay here. It's got to get out. We want the gospel to move, but the gospel moves at the speed of relationship. The gospel moves at the speed of relationship. We live right now in a world where many people don't really care about the book that we read. They don't care about the Bible. They don't have a context for it. They don't have a grid for it. They don't understand why it's relevant. They don't care about the book. They also don't care about the building. Maybe they've been hurt by stepping into a church building before and not belonging. They felt like they had to believe everything before they could belong somewhere. We we feel differently here. You can belong here before you believe. Believing is going to work itself out. But there's a need to belong. Everybody has a need to belong. I'm here because I came and felt like I belonged. You, you welcomed me with aggressive kindness. <laughs> kindness that really freaked me out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> aggressive kindness. You welcomed me in. You said, you can be here. You have a place here. I want everyone who walks in that door to feel the same way. They need to feel like they can belong to this, even if they're not quite sure if they believe everything yet. Because them believing everything is not our job. It's them and the Holy Spirit and it's God. Now, we can walk with people. We can disciple people. We can't force anyone to believe anything. But we can let them know that they belong and walk with them while the Lord takes them where he wants to take them. Right? The gospel moves at the speed of relationships. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, what this doesn't say, it doesn't say that you have to have every bit of your theology right. It doesn't say that as a believer that you have to do everything perfectly. It doesn't say you have to live without sin. It doesn't say you're not allowed to mess up. It doesn't say that you have to do X and Y and Z in order to be an effective disciple. It doesn't say that at all. It's not talking about your performance. What this says, it starts out with identity. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Without even meaning to. You just are. If you have received Jesus, if you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, then whether you want to be or not, and some days you don't want to be because there's a lot of pressure, but whether you want to be or not, you are the light of the world. You're carrying the light. A lot of the world is in darkness. You are carrying the light. And so you can't be hidden. You're a lamp that can't be put under a basket, but you have to be put on a lampstand so that anybody who's around you can receive from the light that you just radiate. Your light has to shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. One of the greatest things that we can do from a missional mindset is just to move in kindness, move in grace. Walk in mercy. Don't walk in judgment, but walk in mercy. Let people know that they are safe, they are seen, they are loved. And when they notice a difference, because the world doesn't act like that. Have you ever been freaked out by somebody who's just really nice to you in a situation where they didn't need to be? Right? It happens. It happens a lot that somebody will just like be nice to you. And it shouldn't be weird to us that someone was nice, but it is because we get so siloed in our own thing and we can't be bothered by other people. We're all on a mission to do our thing. But Jesus is on a mission to let them know that he loves them. And so if we notice people, if we can just be kind, it's the kindness of Romans 2.4. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Don't tell somebody you're in sin and uh, you need to repent. Instead, be kind. God will work that out with them. It's the kindness that leads to repentance. They need to know that, they, that you don't serve a God who just whacks people on the head every time they get out of line. Who wants to serve that guy? People want to belong. They want to be loved. They want to know that there is a God who sees them and knows them and that somehow moved upon your heart, somebody they don't know, to go and express that to them. That is mission. That is mission. We talk about missions and we think I've got to go off to Africa or I've got to go to the, to the southern tip of Borneo or wherever. You know, it's like we've, been, we've talked about this before. Like there's a lot of people who get freaked out like I don't want to do missions because God's going to send me someplace where I've got to really level up. And I'm thinking if that's your mindset and you don't even go across the street to talk to your neighbor, he's not sending you to Africa because he doesn't want to do that to them. He wants to send somebody who's ready right? He's working on a baby steps with me. He's like, hey, go, go and talk to Frank next door. And then we'll think about Africa after that, right? So, so the gospel moves at the speed of relationships, and, and this is what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus who helps others to follow Jesus. 
when we talk about mission, and hopefully when I talk about mission in that way, we don't feel like we need to think about mission as an event or as a one-time thing that I'm going to do to check, my, check off my Christian list that, oh, I did that. I'm good. You know, I went, to, I went for a week and I served there and then I came back home. So I'm good. Mission, done. No, mission is a mindset. Mission is, whether it's to the nations or to your neighbor, there's always someone that God is asking us to notice and to minister to and to show love to, to show kindness to, to show grace to, to invite in so that they feel that they belong, even if they're not quite sure what to believe. That's mission. Luke 9, 23 through 25. <laughs> and he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let yet lose or forfeit their very soul, their very self? Luke 9, 23 through 25. When we talk about missions, it can, it can be kind of a hard word. It can be a hard word. We hear this, you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross. You got to die. You know, and, and, and yes, but we, we need to break that apart just a little bit. I'm going to take just a couple minutes. Jesus is inviting us. Again, he's inviting us. He's not forcing us into anything. He's inviting us into his plan for people. You know, that, that's the only plan God has, right? The plan for saving the entire world, this is it. It's us. Look around. This is the plan. God is going to use us. There is no plan B. There's no <laughs> that's either really brilliant or it's a huge mistake on God's part. I'm not sure, but he knows more than I do. So, uh, so Jesus is inviting us. And what he says is, number one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Say no to the things that the world says yes to. Say yes to the things that Jesus tells you to do. That's what it means to deny yourself. We want to do things that are going to preserve our own situation, that are going to make us feel better, give us comfort, give us some provision. We want to do things so that ourselves feel comfortable. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Because the self finds its origins, finds its DNA in the world. And Jesus was in the world, but not of it. So if we want to follow Jesus, we can't follow the world at the same time. So he's saying, if you want to follow me, it's great. I invite you into it. You have to deny yourself, though. You have to be willing to say no to the things that the world says yes to. You have to be willing to say yes to the things that I'm asking. And that's what that is. And, and that can be difficult sometimes. It can be difficult for us because it, sometimes we think oh, it would be so much easier. It would be so much less pressure on me. It would be, it would be so much less uncomfortable. It would be so much less risky. But if we want to follow him, if we want to make a difference, we've got to be different. And so we have to say yes to the things that Jesus is saying, no matter what the question is. Whether it's, I want you to go to Guatemala and I want you to go and help build some homes. Or it's, I want you to bake a pie, and I want you to take it to your neighbor. Both are missional. Both are things very clearly Jesus might ask you to do. 
I want you to buy coffee for the person behind you. I know you don't know them. I'll deal with that. Well, I'll work it out. Trust me. Are, are we willing to say yes, no matter what the question is? That's at the core of denying ourselves. And then he says, take up your cross. Now, for us, that is more of a theoretical kind of thing almost, because for the first century church, that was very clearly, that was a lot of baggage attached to that image, to that instrument, to, the, to that means of, of torture and death. You have to take up your cross. They knew very clearly that meant you have to die. But Jesus is about the heart. We have to be willing to sacrifice it all. We have to be willing to let go of everything, even our own life, if that's what he asked us to do. That's a hard word. That's a hard question. These are the kinds of things that we, uh, that we need faith in him to really come to terms with. Are we willing to let go of the things that bring us comfort? Are we willing, even to the point of sacrificing our own lives? We haven't really culturally understood that reality of martyrdom, but that is, that's on, if we say we follow him, that's on the table. That's on the table. Not that he will ask that of you, but if he did, would we say yes if it's for your glory, Lord? The question is, are we willing to die for Jesus? The flip side of that is, are we willing to live for Jesus? Because if I say I'm willing to die for him, but in my life it doesn't reflect that I have any connection to him, then I think he has my answer to the first question. It's flip side, two sides of the same coin. If I'm willing to die for him, then I need to be willing to live for him. And that means risking. That means sacrificing maybe a little bit of pride, sacrificing some comfort, sacrificing some awkwardness. We get so scared of awkwardness. I don't, I mean, I do. I don't want to be in an awkward situation. It's like super uncomfortable and I just got to leave, you know? But sometimes God just asks us to be low key, just like awkward, you know? Yes, go talk to that person. (gasps) I don't know them. He's like, I know. I know you, that's the point. I know you don't know them. This is going to mean a lot to them. Go talk to them, right? But, but we, we, we want to preserve and protect ourselves. We want to live for ourselves. We don't always want to live for him. But when people, I mentioned this before, when people stop caring about the book and they stop caring about the building, the only way that they will be able to see Jesus is through your life. They don't have to go to a special building to see you. They don't have to read any special scriptures to see God's word revealed. The only way that is remaining, if they don't want the book, they don't want the building, maybe that comes later. The only way that's remaining is by your life, by my life. So deny yourself. Take up your cross. The third thing he says is follow me. Our primary calling, we get so stuck in the things that we do, and we think that those are the things that we are, right? I, I work at a school. I work at a church. I work for the government. I work at my company. I work, and we think that the things we do are actually the same as the things we are, and that's not true. We think that the things we do are our calling, and maybe they are a calling, but they're not our primary calling. Our primary calling is to make disciples, to follow Jesus and to help bring others in so that they can follow Jesus, to take people who don't know him 
and show to them what he looks like. Show to them how much he loves them. Now, your job is a calling, but it's really only a means to an end. If you're asking, why am I in this job? Why am I in this position? Why am I here? Why am I there? Chances are really high that there's someone else who's part of your primary calling that is in this path. And we need to respond to that. We need to respond to to Jesus' primary calling, which is to make disciples. My my job, my role, my my relationships that I have, my school that I go to, the 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 building I decided to go to, to to do the business I need to do today, all of that is serving our primary calling. Why do I have the job I have? Probably because your, your calling is to make disciples and there's somebody there that needs Jesus. Luke 9.25 said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self. We get so focused with our time, with our energy, with our emotion, with our resources on building and building and building stuff in this world, thinking that it will identify us. But our identity is not found in any of that. Our identity is found in Jesus. And Jesus is not of this world. So in a very real sense, we can put our focus on the world at the expense of who we really are, at the expense of Jesus in us and lose ourselves, lose a sense of who he's created us to be. And it is, it's risky. It's risky. Whether you're ministering to the neighbor or ministering to the nations, whether you're called, you're feeling called to go to someone else in in the line at the coffee shop or you're feeling called to go to Iceland to build whatever they need built in Iceland. I just picked Iceland. I don't know why. Nobody ever talks about missions to Iceland. So I thought, you know, give Iceland some props. But, but no matter where it is you're called or what the situation is, it's a risk. It's a risk. If God is asking, God's not going to ask you to do something that's super easy for you to do. You don't even have to think about. <laughs> yeah. Sit here in my chair and watch sports. Yes, Lord. I'll do that for you all day. He's not going to ask me to do that because I would be doing that anyway. He's going to ask me to do something that's not comfortable for me because there's a risk involved. Where there's no risk, there's no faith. Where there's no risk, there's no need to depend upon him for the strength to do it. But when we take these risks of faith for the glory of God, it creates in us dependency upon him and intimacy with him. We learn how to trust him for things that we know are too scary for us. And as we learn how to trust him, our relationship deepens and we become more intimate with him. And then the next time, we can trust him easier. And he can trust us to do something a little bit more. 